Well, good morning to you. So glad you're here. Uh, this morning we're going to be continuing our series that Pastor Matthew began last week in the book of Second Peter. Uh, and the title of the series is Reminders Recalling Truth in the Face of Falsehood. And if you were with us last week uh, or had viewed the uh, message online, uh, you heard Matthew uh, share with us the first of uh, two of the Apostle Peter's reminders from chapter 1. The first reminder, if you remember, was what we have in Christ, we have a precious, one-of-a-kind, first-rate faith. We have all we need for a godly life. We have God's great and precious promises, and we have power to escape worldly desires. And then Peter reminds in the second reminder, so what should we do with what we've received? And he says, put out every effort, as Pastor Matthew said, maximum effort to add to your faith godly virtues. And he gives a list of what those were, but it concludes with love. So today we're gonna continue our theme of reminders and I'm going to take a step back and ask a question. So do all of you remember everything you need to remember? In fact, we're wired a little bit backwards in life. We seem to remember the things we really should forget. And we forget the things we really should remember. Now, when you set reminders for yourself, because we know we don't remember everything, and for that birthday you're trying to remember, or for maybe that assignment or an appointment for the doctor, or maybe it's a bill that needs to be paid, uh, maybe it's a school project needs to be turned in, and we enter those things in our little handheld devices that control our lives, or we put it on the calendar in writing, and when those dates and those alarms come around, how many of us are really upset that we were reminded to do what we really wanted to do? Very few of us are actually upset, but let's change that a little bit. Let's say the reminder comes from someone else, and it comes about something you think you already know about. This is what Peter's talking about here. He says, I'm going to remind you of some things, and I know you already know. So let's test you. How would you respond? Just take an example. You're driving down the street, and your beloved spouse says to you, Dear, do not forget to stop at this stop sign. Now, we welcome that, right? We say, oh, what a wonder. Thank you so much. <laughs> Not me. Um, or how about your child as he sits at home playing video games and you say, son, it's Monday night. Don't forget the garbage needs to go out. The son says, oh, thank you, Dad. <laughs> right? Well, not my son. So how we respond to godly reminders is sometimes a little bit odd too. Many times I think we hear a verse said, we hear something preached about, we hear someone tell us about a verse and we go, yeah, 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 I know that. Jesus loves me, this I know, uh-huh. And we categorize it in the same category as please stop at the stop sign. But that's not how we're supposed to. How about if we said something like this? The word of God is precious and if somebody reminds us of a precious promise of God, maybe we want to say, Jesus loves me. What a precious thought. 
Sometimes we get so busy in our life that these reminders are critical because we're not thinking of that when we're going through the trials or our busyness. And Peter knows that we remember little of what we should remember. And so today's message is titled, A Sure Word. And we're going to be taking a look at the reminders he felt necessary um, about this sure word that we have. And he also reminds us about one other thing. Reminders are good. We shouldn't despise reminders, especially the ones that come from God's Word. But sometimes I think we have the wrong attitude as we hear those reminders. We don't necessarily want to hear them. So I want you to know that Peter is going to remind us today why the sure word that we have here is reliable and trustworthy. And we are able to stake not only our lives, but our eternities on the truth of this book. We're going to pray and open our service and ask God to help us. Father, I thank you so much that you were willing to provide your people with your thoughts. And that you gave us a book that is precious to us. It is the very word of God. Help us to treasure it and to not neglect it and to not be resistant to your reminders for they are good and right. Help us today to have your word do what it does best to accomplish all you have desired, to penetrate our hearts and expose in us the things that you would love to have improved to be like Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's passage is first, or Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 21, and we're going to read this in sections today. But in this passage, God, the ultimate teacher, through the apostle Peter, uh, who now explained to us the importance of repetition and reminders, uh, things that we must not forget. See, even when we want to remember, we humans have a challenge. It, research has shown that within an hour of hearing a spoken message, people will forget more than 90% of it. Now, as sad as that makes me today, I also know that will be true of whatever I tell you this morning. Before an hour has passed, you will have forgotten most of what I said. What I'm hoping is God will remind you through the written reminders and through that 10% of what you've kept what is really important. And what we want to say is what were those three written reminders that Peter wanted us to have? Well, I think the first one is simply reminders are good and right and important, especially about the Word of God. Life gets too busy. We start thinking things we shouldn't think and the reminder will keep us on course the second thing he wants to remind us is that our faith is not founded on made up stories on myths but on reality on historical facts on eyewitness accounts don't forget that we're not here to pretend church we're here to know that the Word of God and the stories we hear are eyewitness accounts. Okay? 
The third thing he wants us to remember is that our faith is based on God's own revealed, powerful word. It's not based on men. It's not something men came up with. And Peter's going to show us and remind us where did this word that we treasure and revere come from? You see, I was talking with Pastor Matt earlier, and this is a Bible, right? And many of us put our Bible down, put it on the coffee table, maybe read it, maybe not. But this is the very Word of God. And this is why we are called Valley Bible Church, is because we believe that this is God's Word. And this is the only thing that's reliable in this world. The only thing that's truthful. Completely. And so what we're going to do here is, as this aging apostle gets near the end of his life, as it states in this passage, uh, what is he trying to make sure that we remember? Well, the first remember is actually about reminders. And so in verses 12 to 15, follow along. So I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. So I'm not sure the first four verses were the real uh, intent of Peter's reminders here, but God spent four verses on something here, and I think it's important for us to catch the message of what Peter was saying. If you, wrote, if you can just follow along quickly, in verse 12 he states, I will always remind you. He's urgent. He's continuous. He knows it's important. In verse 13, it is right it's not wise, it's not cool, it's not because you need it. It's right to refresh your memory. In verse 15, he says, I will make every effort. As Pastor Matthew said last week, that's maximum effort. I will put all I've got into it to make sure that after my departure to see you will always be able to remember these things. Reminding people is right. I I'm not sure we take it seriously enough to make sure we have a word to speak in somebody's life and remind them what God said. Did you know that God has a word for you today and you're going to make it today? His promises are sure. He can get you through this circumstance. Having a word, having a reminder. I think when he talks about, I want to remind you of these things, certainly I think he means the things that Pastor Matthew mentioned last week from verses 3 to 10 because he says if in verse 10 therefore my brothers be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure for if you do these things you will never fall so those are certainly what he's talking about in this passage that I'm going to remind you of doing these things but I think it's larger than that because in verse 20 and other verses as he talks about all scripture is inspired of God. I'm going to remind you of all scripture. I'm not just, Peter's just not saying, hey, I'm going to remind you of four verses my whole life. 
but I'm going to remind you of God's words as long as I can. And even I'm going to make sure you remember some key things about them even when I'm gone. And why would he say that? Well, the folks he was addressing were believers. He was not mad at them. He was not correcting and rebuking them. He was just telling them, I'm telling you this because I know you know this, but life's going to try to steal it from you, right? Uh, it's going to try to take it away. And so I'm going to do my best now while I'm alive and when I'm even gone, I'm going to try to leave you something so you never forget what's true. <laughs> now it's interesting. He says in verse 13, I will do it while I live in the tent of my body now. And I like that picture. We live in a tent, people. We don't live in Taj Mahal. No matter how proud you are of your body, it's a tent. And we're going to put the tent aside. And God's got a mansion for us that's not made with human hands. And uh, it's going to be so much better than your tent. I'm looking forward to that, people. I really am. Especially as I get older. I'm more and more looking forward to it. Because my tent's got a lot of holes in it. Um, but in verse 15, he says, I want to make every effort to make sure that after my departure, you have a sure word. So what's that? He says, after my departure, don't you love, just when P Peter throws in here, words that help comfort? He didn't say that after my death, after I'm annihilated, after I cease, he says, I'm departing. I'm just leaving. I'm going to go from my home here to my eternal home in heaven. And I might go ahead of you, I might go after you, but I'm just departing. And I think that's a great thing to keep in mind, that God gives hope to believers that says death is not the end. We do not die and weep as those that have no hope, but we depart. We're just like getting on a ship. Who of us, if their family member, their loved one was getting on a ship for the South Seas, Tahiti. We're going to cry at the dock. They're departing. I, no, we're happy for them. We're excited. Why? They get to go on the journey of a lifetime, even in earthly terms. But this is a journey of heavenly proportion, and we should be happy for people who depart. And that's why he says we don't grieve as us, those that have no hope, because these guys are departing to such a journey that we'd love to go. In fact, Paul said that, Man, God had to make sure I didn't leave early because, you know, I, I got stuff to do here, but I want to go. Well, I think one of the things we have to do is that remind ourselves that um, leaving people key reminders is an important activity of a believer. And Peter was diligent and used maximum effort to make sure that even after he was gone, people would know that. Peter wasn't lazy about providing effort into reminding people. So are we lazy? Do we pour reminders of God's word in people? Do we? Do I? It's hard to do if you don't know it. But I think God is instructing us. Reminders are good and important because we people forget too quickly what's important. And reminders, even if you already know it, are going to benefit you. Second reminder is that we don't follow cleverly invented stories. Let's read this passage. In verse 16, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, with whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice, and that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. This is interesting. Have you been duped by a good story? I have. Too good to be true stories? Ever had a, heard of a deal that just sounded too good to be true? Peter's trying to warn us that this faith we have, this Jesus we have, is not too good to be true. It's not one of these myths or fables. You see, he knew that he wanted to remind people about the veracity of their story, that it wasn't cleverly invented because in chapter 2 that Pastor Larry will be talking about next week, false teachers are going to come in and they're going to start making up stuff to try to gain an advantage for some purpose and it's generally either for money, power, uh, sensuality, it was something. But they wanted power and distorting the message. And what would they say? Well, maybe believers were being told hey, this Jesus rising from the dead and life after death, that sounds totally cool, but did that happen? I mean, really. I mean, imagine me going up to uh, Rome and saying, I believe in someone who died and rose again, and I'm going to go to heaven and be with God because he's alive. That would kind of sound a little weird in the first century if you hadn't known the story and you weren't an eyewitness of what Jesus did. Uh, how about... Um, our faith. Could someone want to distort our faith? Could someone want to say something like, hey, believing in Jesus alone can never save. I mean, you've got to do something. You've got to earn it somehow, right? That's wrong. A, sa a faith that saves will cause you to do things, but doing things will never save you. And, they, and he's saying, remember, the stories we're telling you that belief in Jesus Christ will give you salvation is not a made-up story. It's not a myth. It's not something we concocted. In fact, it's interesting. Cleverly devised stories has a couple words to it that mean something like mm, concocted, clandestine, devious, um, manipulative stories. And stories is the Greek word. This is our Greek lesson for the day. Muthos, where we get our word myths. So these aren't cleverly distorting myths. This is eyewitness accounts. Now, what is an eyewitness account? Um, well, you could say you were there, right? Uh, now, is it possible for five people to see the same thing and describe it differently? Okay, we see that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, don't we? Um, they saw the same event, but the fundamentals of the story were true, but they saw it a little differently. Um, but eyewitnesses... Everything about our Bible from the New Testament about Jesus is, is, has an eyewitness um, credibility to it. And 1 John chapter 1, uh, John says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, 
and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, Peter, like all the disciples, were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, his miracles. I mean, it's an amazing thing. But Peter, James, and John were also special invitees to a special witnessing. Jesus invited James, Peter, James, and John to go up to the mount of what's called transfiguration. He calls here in the verse the holy mountain, the sacred mountain. And people think it might be Mount Hermon near Caesarea Philippi, but it doesn't matter. It was a mountain that Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to, and they went up on that mountain. And what happened there? Well, there they saw Jesus transformed before them into the radiant Son of God, returning King of Kings, as he will be appearing when he comes back to earth, not as a lowly servant, but as King as King. He will come back as King of Kings. And he says, I saw it. I saw it. There he was. It was so bright. Anybody seen lightning strike near you? Heard it? I mean, it doesn't boom when it strikes near you. It, it claps. And have you ever looked at lightning when it actually flashed in front of you and it looked like a flashbulb went off and you're kind of doing this? Well, it said that Jesus' clothes were brighter than lightning. So what does that look like? Do you think we might need some supernatural eyes to look at him? I think so. But Peter said, I was there. I saw, I know that this return of Jesus, not as a lowly servant, but as king of kings and reigning Lord, it's going to happen. I saw what that's going to look like. I was on the mountain. And it's interesting, too, that it was confirmed by God's, the Father's, own testimony. Now, Jesus had often said that my Father is doing this, and my Father, and, and the Jews were not happy about that. But he said, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, you're, you're on the mountain. Your eyes are already kind of blistered, right? I'm looking at lightning on a continuous basis. I don't know how that would feel, but I don't think it would feel comfortable. And now I'm doing that, and I hear a voice, and it's God the Father saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Can you imagine that? Um, they heard with their own ears what God said, and they understood as a Jewish audience what the Father said. We often don't get it. See, when he said, this is my son, I think we sometimes think of he's my, the, the next generation of me or something. Um, we don't get the point that God the Father is saying something like, by the way, he is God because I am God. He's just like me. He's also saying I love him. And he also says he is perfect. I am pleased. See, well-pleased means he's perfect. So now he, this voice from heaven confirms to Peter what Jesus has been saying. And let's look at this. I think what you have to do is in John 5, 17, Jesus is, in his normal way, being attacked for healing on the Sabbath. They're just not content that something good happens. It just happened on the wrong day. You can't do good works on the wrong day. 
So in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried, the Jewish leaders, tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Now, guess what happened? Jesus didn't say it. Now, God the Father has confirmed it, right to the ears of the disciples. So we have an eyewitness and an earwitness of who Jesus is. What other testimony would you need? Does somebody outrank God? Is there somebody else's testimony you'd like to listen to about who Jesus is? God says Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is loved by me, and he is transfigured into the returning, reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back, and he will reign. We're on the right side, those who trust in him. It's like people used to say, it's a, a little book of a story, and it's pleasant to know that our side wins. Isn't it cool? No matter what you're going through today, we win. We win. So when we feel discouraged or hear other messages that cause us to doubt, or we begin to, could this gospel really be true? Have I done enough to get to heaven? Uh, maybe there is more to this Christianity than faith in Christ alone. Understand that Peter says, hey, there is not. We were eyewitnesses. I'm telling you the truth. We saw and heard what Jesus said. And this is the truth. Now, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, they weren't the only eyewitness. It says over 500 people at one time were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection and we're still alive when Paul wrote his letter and said, hey, if you've got a doubt, go talk to one of them. I can give you the list. Uh, it's a verifiable faith. And, but Peter, I think, is quick to give us his third reminder. And the third reminder is, because I know eyewitness accounts can be questioned even, because you weren't there. You could be like Thomas. Unless I see the nail prints in his hands, unless I see the hole in his side, I will not believe. Well, God says we have a sure word that supersedes or even is the proof of the eyewitness accounts. So number third reminder, let's read. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. How did we get this word? How did we get this sure word? Uh, it wasn't based on man's thinking, effort, or imagination. And so this third reminder is really the, one of the more important ones. And he reminds us of two things, I think, in this passage. First, we don't need to worry about not being an eyewitness. 
but it's imperative that we understand that the Bible we hold today is a divine product. This is not a product of man's effort. Man was a tool in God's hands that prepared this document. But this is a divine product. It is the very words of God. Should, I, I, I got convicted studying this. Guess why? Do I treat this as the very words of God all the time? Or when I do my morning reading because I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, do I go, yep, got done today. I know no one's ever done that, but um, I don't think I treat this as a divine work product. I know that it's good for me, and so I take it like vitamins, but if I treated it differently, I think God would treat me differently. Not because he loves me more, not because I perform better, but God's word is powerful. It's effective. And so first, we don't need to worry about being eyewitnesses because we have something that God says is sure. It's the written word. It will never change. I, I tell people, I know no one has ever done this, but I'll just say, when you tell about the fish you caught, and how much of a struggle it was to land it. And it was, and the next time you tell it, and the next time you tell it, that fish was a whopper by the time you told it seven times, and so was your story. But that will never happen with the written word of God. It was written once for all, and it doesn't need to be edited. It's clear. Well, the other thing, too, that uh, he says above all in verse 20, and we don't use terms like above all anymore. In my, above all, son, I, I, I've never said that, but you might say of most importance. Um, you might say no matter what, never forget. That's what he's saying here. You must understand that this book, even though it was penned by men, is not man's product. Never forget this is not a bunch of stories written by men this is God's very word and it says how did that happen in verse 21 he says for prophecy scripture never had its origin or source in the will of man but men spoke from God how as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit now I love this because the word that Peter's using here is the same word that Paul used in Acts 27 when he was on a ship as a prisoner being taken to Rome and the ship got caught in a storm. The ship was being driven by the wind. Steering was out. Ever been in a ship in a place where steering went bye-bye? Uh, how about, uh, ever been on ice in a car and it starts spinning? Okay, steering is out. You, you can turn the wheel, but it doesn't do anything. If the, if the road is aimed downhill, you are going downhill. Okay, this is how the ship was. It was being carried along by the storm, and where the storm wanted to drive it, that's where the ship went. And this is what he's saying, the same thing that men, driven by the wind of the Holy Spirit, were driven along. They had no, they weren't guiding this ship anywhere. It was going exactly where God wanted it to go. It was going to land exactly where it was going to land. And he was taking their minds and creating words that he wanted to say in the exact order he wanted to say them as the Holy Spirit's power drove that through the will 
of the Father. Now, here's an interesting thing here. Um, this is a divine product. It's a miraculous book. I mean, you've got to believe that what would we know about God had God not told us? Zero. Everything in here is because God revealed it. That's a kindness. That's a graciousness. He told us everything we needed to know about him. When this book speaks, you know God speaks, right? In fact, I was talking with Pastor Matthew again, and he, he mentioned something I thought was good. So people might say, well, I'd really rather hear God say it himself. You know, I want to hear God speak. Well, just take your Bible out, open it up, and read aloud. <laughs> God is speaking. And I can go back to my prior message. Are you listening? God is speaking. Are you listening? So, but this is an interesting thing. We have divine truth in our hands, and it's not just big ideas. This is one of the things I love. Jesus accentuated this point. This is not a book that God authorized the moral of the story. He did not authorize the principles contained herein. Every word is his. It's truthful. It's accurate. It's inerrant. Every word. In fact, words we don't really use very much anymore is jot and tittle. Jesus said, not a jot or a tittle will change from the law or pass away. Well, for those that don't know jot and tittle, I had to look it up. Uh, those, those are two little pen strokes in the Hebrew writing. And the tittle was like, it's not even a full letter. It's a, it's a little mark on the edge of a letter that changed the meaning of that letter or the purpose of that letter. And a word's, a word's meaning could change with a little it. And Jesus said, even down to that level, this book is accurate and God's word. Don't mess. It's God's word. So I thought about that, and I said, Jesus, he believed that. In Deuteronomy, while facing the temptations of the devil, he quoted from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy, from the prophet Moses, and he said before he said everything he said, it is written. And I want you to notice something. It's something that I had to notice here. I think Christians today are tending to get the meaning of verses without quoting verses. We so doesn't God say something like, um, and then we try to use that to meet our situation. The word of God is powerful, not the he-he-he of God. Okay? Jesus, when he quoted, it is written, it was verbatim. And, he, and it is written is another way of saying, God has said, and I'm going to repeat word for word what he said. When that happens, there's power. When we just say, doesn't God say something like we should, uh, something like a forgive? Uh, okay, what do you want me to do with that? Okay, but when you quote a verse, um, even from the Lord's Prayer, how, how do we do there? And forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If we really quoted that precisely in our lives and acted on it, what would we have to do? Lord, forgive me in the same way I forgive... Wait a minute. Okay. 
we might want to say, no, don't forgive me in the same way I forgive everybody else because I want you to forgive me better. But the verse, if you quote exactly what God wrote, he says, in the same way you forgive your brother, I'll forgive you. We can we understand God wrote it specifically to mean what it says, not what we hope it means. Now, the other thing, too, is um, one of my favorite passages, I think, that showed that uh, Jesus considered Scripture as not man's word comes from Matthew, not Pastor Matthew, but the Matthew um, in the scriptures 22, 31 and to 33 and he says this but about the resurrection of the dead have you not read what God said to you I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob he is not the God of the dead but the living now it's interesting I guess Jesus was misinformed didn't he know that Moses wrote Exodus 3, 6 Who wrote Exodus 3.6? God. He says, I don't care who the, the pen guy was. The pen guy might have been Moses, but the author was God. Jesus says, have you not read what God said to you? I think that's powerful, people. Jesus considered this the very words of God. Not what Moses said, not what Isaiah said, not what Ezekiel said, not not what Matthew and Paul and Peter even said. It's what God said. That's what matters. And the second thing is uh, he actually used even the tense of a verb in that situation. Interesting that he said, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. He didn't say I was the God. See, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead for hundreds of years. So why didn't he say I was? A spiritual truth is contained in the tense of one word. Jesus saying, don't play lightly and loose with this Bible. These are precious, exact words that you shouldn't mess around with. If you want it to have power in your life, the word of God is active and alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. You can't quote something like. You understand? You've got to use the word of God. Now, we possess a miraculous book, but Peter says something else in verses 19. He says, make sure you pay attention as a light in a dark place. Now, I gotta go faster here, but I have to say, you gotta understand a light in a dark place. Has anybody ever been to Carlsbad Caverns? Mammoth Caverns, something like that. Have you ever been on a tour where they, uh, they actually may have warned you, which is cool, but they shut the lights off? And you know, and you get a little scared, if these lights don't come back on, I'm trapped here forever. Right? And now the interesting thing there is your thirst for light at that point becomes great. And if the person next to you had a flashlight, you'd be doing this. I'm right with you, buddy. Wherever that flashlight goes, I'm there. Because, and this is what he says, pay attention as a light shining in a dark place. This is the light in a dark world. And if you don't have this, you've got no light. What did he say? He said, pay attention to it passionately. I'm not sure we pay attention to this passionately. What does pay attention even mean? I see it. I'm paying attention. 
Notice right there, folks. It's, there it is, the Word of God. That's not what he means. He means read it. He means read it to understand it. Don't skim it. I finished three chapters in one hour. Well, great. Did you learn anything? No. Did you apply anything? No. Then you haven't paid attention to it. To pay attention means you've read it, you've understood it, you trust it, and you apply it. You do what it says. How are we doing in that area for paying attention? Peter says it's important. Don't just know that this is an inspired word of God and it tells the truth. It does you no good if you don't pay attention. It's like James said, it's like the man stands in front of the mirror and looks and goes, ooh, that's ugly. And that's got a mess. I got spots all over my face. Oh, well. And he walks away. He doesn't do anything about it. Why? That's what reading the word and not applying it and doing it. That's what it's like. And so what Peter's reminding of is we need to pay attention. Now, there's something here that what would that do? If I paid attention to it, what would it do? It's a simple verse, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Can you imagine what that would do for you in Carlsbad Caverns if you had no light? This world is a world with no light. You know that. It's a dark world. We live in a dark world. So what are we doing to remember and remind each other we have the light? We've got the light. It will light our paths. What, what should I do? Uh, go talk to your psychiatrist. Go talk to your boss. No. Go to the Word of God. What should I do? This is what it is. This is the light for our path in a dark, dark, dark world. If you felt like I did in Carlsbad Caverns and wanting that flashlight, if I felt the same way about living in this world without light, I would be in this thing like all over it. Why? Because I know I need it to survive. I know I need it to make it. Well, we have a heritage, but we must pay attention. So Peter, as he ended near the end of his life, gave us three reminders. We need to make sure we are diligent to not despise or not provide reminders and to help people remember God's word. Second, we need to remember that we are not the church of the phony, of the fake stories, of the make-believe. These are eyewitness and historical accounts we trust. And it's also, we are not a, a, a faith that doesn't have solid, undeniable, unchangeable truth, a sure word, a sure word, a never-failing word. Did you know that this universe will be gone, but these words will not? This will outlast all of us and the universe combined. Jesus said so. So what's going on here? Well, I think Peter knew that he would no longer be around to keep giving personal reminders. But you think he was diligent enough to do what he said now that 2,000 years later we're still reading his reminder? I think he'd be tickled to know that I'm going to use maximum effort to make sure that after I'm gone you guys will still know the truth about these things. And guess what? 2,000 years later, we still know the truth. I am, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Peter. But now, I recently personally experienced an example of such a timely and impactful reminder. This past Christmas Day, 
my dad got his long-awaited promotion to heaven to be with Jesus. I love my dad. He was a good dad. He was a really good dad, a fun dad. And I never met a person who was more ready to be with Jesus or more filled with hope as he approached that day than him. He knew that he had a scheduled appointment with Jesus. In fact, we used to talk about Hebrews 9, 7, for it's appointed unto man once to die. And so I said, and he says, I want to go home. I said, but dad, you've got an appointment. You can't go early. You can't crash the line. You got an appointment to see God. But the day before he passed away and he departed, um, he could hardly talk. And I leaned over his bed and I whispered in his ears of, of words from a verse from Jude 24. Many of you know it. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious throne, faultless with great joy. I whispered in his ear, Dad, he could hardly talk. It won't be long, and Jesus will be presenting you faultless with great joy. And he sat there and he went, It was a triumphant yes and amen. But he was ready for his departure. But what surprised me is when I learned from my sister that he included a statement of his faith in his will. See, it's a document typically we use to describe who gets what after somebody passes away, what we want to have done with our stuff. Um, but I guess that he knew that it, a lot of eyes would be on this document people that knew Jesus and people who didn't, attorneys and family. And he wanted us to leave, have a written reminder of what he thought was important and what he wanted us to remember, of why he had hope and what he wished for for those that had not put faith in Christ. If you'll allow me, I'll read that brief statement. It's basically one long sentence. I commit my soul to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, having peace with God through faith in Him who gave Himself for my sins. And above everything else, I entreat my heirs and all others to receive and maintain the same assurance, desiring that they too may obtain in Christ the only inheritance which can never perish spoil or fade. After his Thank you. See, after his departure, he left us a written reminder. He put out maximum effort to make sure we didn't forget what was most important to him. He's not going to be here to tell us anymore. But he left it in a place where we would have to read it and remember it. In my dad's case, he wanted us to know the real inheritance that us or anyone could ever have was obtained by trusting in Jesus alone. He wanted us to know that his great desire that everyone he knew, his family and friends, would profess the same faith in Jesus and through Christ obtain the only inheritance that would never perish, spoil, or fade. 
He knew this was true because he trusted and relied on this sure word. And that's what he said. The word of God is true, son. It's true. So Peter left us written reminders because he was eyewitnesses of his death, life, resurrection, and returning glory. He says we have a sure word. My dad left a reminder of what he treasured was his faith in Christ. And it was more important than stuff. He didn't even talk about stuff in his will because his faith was his most important treasure. Knowing that all of us at some point will be leaving this life, what reminders are we leaving to those around us of what matters in our life? Are we reminding them of what the Word of God says? Are we reminding them on what our faith stands? On eyewitness accounts and the sure Word of God? Are we diligent? Are we making every effort to make sure that people remember what you are about? Both now and in the future. You see, God told us He's given us His Word but if you don't pay attention to it, it's no benefit. It's like having a flashlight in that cavern and never turning it on. You see, I, like Peter, want to just exhort and remind us that the Bible we hold, the Bible we treasure, is miraculously delivered. It is a divine product. It's the inspired, very word of God. But the only way that word of God will have an effect is if you pay attention to it. You read it. You understand it. You trust it. And you do what it says. Is that what I'm doing? Is that what you're doing? If we do, it'll change our life. It'll change your life forever. Well, remember Please, to remind others of the truths of this wonderful, amazing, incredible book inspired by God. Truth, very truth. Peter says it's always good to remind you, even if you already know. And to know in this world, this is the only sure word the only sure word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your reminders. I thank you that you let us know what you were thinking by providing your very words through men, through the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we hold a product that is not of man, but of God. May we trust it. May we read it. May we apply it and do what it says and be changed. Father, I'm convicted that we have not hid as much word in our heart that we may not sin against you as we should. We're kind of weaponless. If we don't memorize your word, how can we use it in the battle? Help us to know your word and to apply it because your word is powerful. Your word is alive. Your word will change us and it's the only light that we have to light our path. In Jesus' name, amen.